Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Figuring out a scalable business model is hard. Now imagine if your fintech's business is to figure out the business for scaling software as a service companies and e-commerce players. Now, imagine doing it in the middle of a war zone. Alana Mishko, founder and CEO of Fuel Finance, joins me to talk about the current state of startups, the rush to understand profitability, and most importantly, the situation on the ground in the Ukraine. We end the discussion with several tangible ideas from Alana on how you can help those in the Ukraine. Alana, let's start. Where are you exactly right now? Uh, now in Lviv. It's like in Ukraine, uh, but near Poland. Okay. In t- what's the situation on the ground around you? Because talk about you. Know, we talk about startups, you know, being like war and like all these metaphors around life and death. But you literally are both you know fighting the life and death for you know startups on their behalf as their finance function while living in the middle of a war. What has that experience been like? I should say that like several minutes ago, I had chat like with my mom who is like, send me the message that uh, she should go to bomb shelter because like she's in Kyiv and uh, we had like siren uh, in the whole Ukraine like <laughs> several minutes ago and uh, it, it is already ended. But it's exactly how to live now in Ukraine. So you try to combine like i don't know <laughs> 10 minutes ago i had a call like with investor like <laughs> after that i had the message like from my mom and understanding that things are not going okay at all and uh, on the other hand after that like you should start work and like managing yourself and uh, managing your team so it's something like something how how it's going now being in ukraine now, is most of your team based with you or are they spread out across Ukraine? Are they spread across not only in Ukraine. So there are like already some team members uh, not in Ukraine, so in other countries, but like 80% of our team members are in Ukraine. And I'm imagining this has been massively disruptive you know, to what you do, moving people around and yeah. having to ensure their safety. Yeah, it was it was a huge challenge, especially during like first weeks and especially during first days, understanding how to manage everything and understand how to locate people, how to keep them in some safe places and like being yourself also in the same in the safe place. So yeah, it was it was for sure challenge. <laughs> now it's a little bit easier because now like everyone already understands what to do, how to be like in safe place, how to manage and uh, everything. And uh, especially during sirens and like a little bit already uh, easier. Yeah, because we are already understand what to do. So let's talk about what Fuel does because I find it absolutely fascinating. And one, you know, when we look at the tools 
that have made you know, starting a company easier and easier. One thing that has not always gotten easier is your finance function. And that really is a big, you know, the problem that fuel sets out to um, really go solve and literally becomes the fuel, you know, for that engine. Tell us the founding story of where fuel comes from. Yeah, like, first of all, like, I think that uh, finance is uh, not something easy. And like, let's be honest, finance is really sucks for many founders. And uh, they really don't like it. And uh, uh, I have financial background and I also have like this entrepreneurship background. That's why like I always solve this problem and uh, I always have like this idea that finance should be fun and finance can be easy. And I can understand why like founders, they have these problems with their finance. It's, it can be very easy. And um, it's like how we started to create like our product to make like much easier financial management for all startup founders and simply like with our product they can get, get all insights very fast insights about different functions uh, insights about efficiency of different budgets and uh, it's like the way how they really with this product and with our system of financial management how they really can increase like their startups valuation and uh, like make better communication with investors and funds. So it's exactly what we create. Well, let's unpack that a little bit and drill into because having spent time um, with the product in your demos, it's more than just putting together, you know, P&L and cash flow, you know, in a balance sheet, which everyone needs, but is, you know, not so useful if it just sits on a monitor on the edge of your desk somewhere. So can you give us some examples of the kinds of insights and value you've been able to bring to your customers? Uh, yeah, I can give like our my own example because we also use uh, our system to manage like our data and all finance for us. So my insight is that when we started to manage finance with our system, we started to grow very predictable with our revenue, like every month. So every month we were growing and uh, it was not like some magic or something like that. It was because like we have, we have this growing because we understand what results we get in the end of the, each week of the month and how we can get like our planned revenue in the end of the month because we have also traction according to our marketing, number of leads, according to our sources, conversion rates, and everything in that in very easy way can help me like as a CEO of my startup understand what should be done during next week to achieve final goal. For example, in revenue, like the most uh, important part for all startups. And it is like, 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 yeah, like I use our product in our like startup and uh, also all our executives use uh, this product in the same way. So they simply manage their like functions uh, with this plan, plan actual analysis, like every week to understand what they achieved every week with data. Uh, and understand like what should be changed for the next weeks uh, to achieve like I don't know their goals in like number of leads, their goals in number of new customers, their goals like in like I don't know like in uh, marketing budgets, in cash flow, and everything like that. So it's like the system of graphs and dashboards that like all executives inside the team can use to make better better work and better deliver better results for for startup. 
Well, it's interesting. You go all the way into the pipeline, right? And the understanding that you know it's not just when yeah. the dollars hit the bank account and or when the invoice goes out. What kinds of systems do you plug into? And you know, I, I found it interesting that you built a, upon you know Google in the Sheets as a primary kind of function that's great for shareability. But walk us through what your architecture looks like. Yeah, we like uh, use Google Spreadsheets because it's like very easy, uh, easy way, like and very obvious and user friendly way to like build front end for all founders. But for sure, like back end, when we talk about back end, we have our database and uh, we connect. We have these connections with QuickBooks, with uh, Gusto, with Stripe, with like Salesforce, PipeDrive, with different programs. And with different parts like of your of your business because pro- these programs are responsible for some data. So we simply take this data and already in our database this data transforms to all this like easy ways how you how you will see these dashboards graphs. So it's exactly like what our product does. So when you start to work with a company and you I think you specialize primarily in startups any kind of startup or can you work almost universally regardless of industry sector uh, we mostly work with the yes companies with yes startups with revenue stage startups and with uh, through business models now so it's like SaaS e-commerce and professional services so we have like solutions for through business models and let's dig into the SaaS one, which I find particularly interesting. What kinds of insights have you been able to bring to bear for your customers? Oh, you know, like uh, when you talk about SaaS, it's like, first of all, um, it's prediction of churn. It's prediction like of number of subscriptions you have now, what subscriptions you will have, how you're growing based on your like previous experience, based on your data for previous periods. Also, insights about unit economics. It's the most valuable part for all like SaaS businesses they, when they understand different cohorts of uh, their customers and like what margins, what like LTV to CC ratio they get from different types of customers. And uh, they simply with this data, I see how founders they start to change um, their like marketing marketing activities, their like work with their customers because they understand where they can get better margins from which types of customers and how they can like grow faster uh, grow faster with like this insight so it's exactly what really such companies usually use from our system and for most of these companies that are revenue stage do they tend to be venture backed or they bootstrapped is, is there a difference in how you'd find they manage their financial function uh, now, like we have two types of clients. So we have clients who are bootstrapped. We have clients who like have investments also. But like according to current situation, as we understand with like financial crisis and what is going on, I think that um, it's also important that uh, also like many customers now want to understand how to increase their runway. Like analyzing also like all insights from this like financial system. And uh, it's, I think, the new challenge uh, for these companies and even like for VC for uh, companies, VC uh, startups, I think that like the next challenge will be how to become like more bootstrapped. So I mm. think like we already see this new reality, uh, which is already has started. Well, let's talk about the new reality, right? You have an interesting purview across the startup ecosystem. 
how are most of the startups you're seeing respond um, to the new realities of a lot of venture capital beginning to dry up, a lot more turmoil, you know, inflation, prices changing, demand changing? What is your take on the global ecosystem? Uh, first of all, I see that like some startups, they stopped uh, their fundraising. So they were, for example, in this process, but uh, because of like lower valuation, they made decisions to uh, like stop their fundraising and uh, like postpone this idea. And uh, some of the startups, we see that uh, they already start to optimize their expenses and uh, they already have the goal to increase runway two times. And uh, it's exactly what we see now. Like not, not all like from all startups, I think maybe 20% of uh, customers, but uh, they already we already see this like first first uh, points that that can be already tricky. So as we enter a period of greater uncertainty, how can fuel help these startups navigate the turbulent waters? Yeah, we have like uh, cases with our clients that like using. Uh, after starting using our system and our product, uh, we have the cases where like startups start to be profitable, and I think it's like the most uh, the most valuable part that we can bring to our customers. So with our product, they can manage their finance smart, and they can really not only like you know like decrease budgets like marketing budgets two times without thinking if they need this budget. So they can really make smart decisions about their expenses and uh, how with less expenses, with less costs, they can really have higher revenue growth. I think it's the most insight they can get now in these times from like fuel finance products. And so it, is most of these startups are you know, doing crazy things like achieving profitability as opposed to growth at all costs in the unit economics are most expecting to go out and raise additional money or are you finding most of the startups are battening down the hatches, assuming that they're not going to be able to go raise additional right now? Uh, I think like it depends because uh, I know like that some startups they are raising now and uh, they, they believe that they will raise but uh, some startups uh, they can raise but with lower valuation so uh, because of that they decided not to do it so um, it depends really from like for different startups but i also understand that um, uh, i see the situation that with see funds they start to like when we, when we imagine the situation i don't know one year ago the most important part like for the C funds was like your revenue growth. But uh, now like uh, the, that we already see that with C funds, they also ask if you like profitable or uh, can you bootstrap and what runway you have. So we see already that like some other questions they start to ask. <laughs> yes. We see that customers already start to think about that because like one year ago, I think like startup founders, there were something like that. No, we don't need like to be profitable. We don't like to bootstrap. We have money that we need and something like that. And now they already start to think after all these questions from VC funds, okay, maybe we should like think about our profitability <laughs> and like some additional like financial management. Yeah. As a finance professional, did that drive you crazy when it was growth at all costs and uh, not thinking about the fundamentals of their business? 
uh yeah i think like finance is something that like makes me crazy and i i really like it and um uh but i also like uh i think that the most interesting part is like combination of how you can how you can manage business with financial data so not like simple finance simple compliance simple like accounting and reports but the most interesting part here is like this combination of business metrics and financial metrics. I think it's like the most valuable part. Parts. Well, I think there's a lot of founders that uh, should be signing up and learning those insights that isn't just about, you know, the top line growth and up and to the right. So um, as we're nearly out of time, would love to hear more about, so how has the war in Ukraine impacted your business and your outlook for the future? Uh, like first of all, we had clients in Ukraine, but uh, they po- post their subscription, so which is like reasonable situation, and uh, it was a situation like drop down in our revenue, and uh, like we didn't have Russian clients, <laughs> like uh, it it was obvious, but uh, we had Ukrainian clients, and uh, but nevertheless, uh, even like after this drop down, we're still growing with uh, the US customers, and we're still managing our business, and uh, for sure, it's like uh, much more complicated to manage business during the war. First of all, because of like some psychological parts and uh, we like should manage not only business, but ourselves, uh, I think more smart uh, in these days and uh, to be able to manage like all team. Yeah. As if running a startup is not stressful enough to you know, add this there. <laughs> so what can we as a global community do to support fuel and the people of Ukraine when it comes to FinTech? Yeah, I think that like, first of all, um, it's very important, I think, to share information about Ukraine and tell our stories. And uh, we understand that for Ukraine, it's very important to be like on these first pages of all media, because uh, now it's even more important than it was like several months ago. And uh, it's like the first uh, share, share the stories of Ukraine. Uh, and support Ukraine in all different ways. And uh, the second one, like which is really important, I believe, uh, everyone can choose the way of like using Ukrainian products. And we have really great tech Ukrainian products and different products in fashion. I don't know, in like uh, in uh, really different services. And uh, my friends also created like the platform spent with Ukraine.com and. Uh, there is like the full list of all companies, of all services and products that really everyone can use. And because all these companies, they like, first of all, donate their money to all our like military forces, to different foundations here that like support Ukrainians. And I think it's like the second way how everyone can support Ukraine. And uh, the third one, for sure, we have already many uh, many different uh, foundations and funds and uh, where you can donate uh, and support exactly different different uh, ways so you can support military forces you can support like i don't know ukrainian refugees you can support like children here or hospitals and we have like already different funds uh, where like in different ways uh, in case like someone wants to support us Fantastic. And if people want to learn more about Fuel Finance, where can they learn more about you and how do they go about getting started? 
Uh, yeah, we have like our website fuelfinance.me and uh, for sure uh, like all all, uh, all can use our products and uh, I think that like it will be very valuable for all startups to use our product, especially now like during these times. And I believe it it's, uh, can bring huge value for all startups. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us, Lana, especially given the time difference and please stay safe. Thank you so much, Jason. Do you remember road trips back before GPS? In the 80s and 90s, all you had were those giant paper maps. By the early 2000s, you could print out step-by-step directions, but if you missed a step, you were completely lost. It's just so much easier to navigate with smart, up-to-date data, isn't it? The same thing is true for community banks. Folks who are still working from static spreadsheets are going to miss opportunities that their modernized counterparts won't. It's all about having consolidated, automatically updated information and intelligent analytics to make sense of it. If you want to turn on your bank's GPS, Deluxe is offering a free ebook called Off the Map, The Bank Leader's Guide to Data Transformation. It's going to tell you how to plan your transformation, get buy-in, find opportunities to automate the works featuring advice from banking experts, consultants, and practitioners. Get your copy at deluxe.com slash breakingbanks. While you're there, you can check out the Banker's Dashboard, a tool to help community banks take control of their data for faster, smarter decision-making. That's deluxe.com slash breakingbanks. Hello, listeners. I'm Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks. Together, myself and Dr. Richard Petty have recently released our latest best-selling book, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. We look at how inequality, artificial intelligence, and climate change are going to shape our world moving forward. During the pandemic, the wealth of the world's billionaires ballooned. The richest 1% added $1.6 trillion to their wealth, meaning that they own more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans today. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic, but artificial intelligence could disrupt up to 80% of the jobs today. These new industries we are creating will face labor shortages because we aren't training our students with the right skills. By 2050, we'll need to produce 70% more food to feed the 9 billion inhabitants of the planet, but we lost 40% of our farmland to erosion and pollution in the last 50 years. By 2050, 570 global cities face inundation from sea rise. Miami, Guangzhou, New York, Calcutta and Shanghai are just the top five cities. If you want to know more about the solutions to these problems, check out The Rise of Techno-Socialism, our latest best-selling book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to riseoftechnosocialism.com to find out more. Welcome to the future. Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Brady Harris, CEO of Dwala. Brady, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Greg, longtime fan. Super appreciate the uh, the opportunity to be on. 
Excellent. Well, let's kick things off by just giving people some background on yourself. Take 60 seconds or so and tell us a little bit about where you're coming from. Yeah, you know, I'm a payments guy. So I've, you know, what we now call fintech. Um, but I've been in payments since 2001. In fact, my uh, my first job ever in payments was selling, at the time, what we called knuckle busters. Remember those carbon copies you would run the credit cards over to take a carbon imprint. And so wow. uh, I've, really, I've, I've been really fortunate to see that the industry evolve. But yeah, you know, I've been running payments companies and, and learning all I can about fintech now for the better part of 20 years. And it's been an incredible journey. It's taken us from the Pacific Northwest to Utah, to Texas, Atlanta, and now I'm with Dwalla based out of Des Moines, Iowa. Excellent. So let's get into Dwalla a little bit. You know, my, my experience of the past couple of years is that there are a ton of fintech companies who are doing really cool things. And there's a greater appetite among consumers for more digital financial tools. But I think it's been tough for us as an industry to see what each other is working on. Um, can you start us out by just kind of telling us what's new in the world of Dwalla? Yeah. And that's, you know what, that's not unique, Greg. I think we all feel that way. I, you know, despite my 20 years in payments, when, when I first was getting to know Dwalla now about 18 months, two years ago, I was asking a board member, I said, I know the name Dwalla, but tell me what is it that they do? And he kind of laughed and he said, yeah, we, we get that a lot. So in the most simplest way, you know, Dwalla was, was really hyper-focused five or six years ago on ACH as a payment rail. And I, I kind of say like, we're the Tesla of payments in the sense that, you know, Elon Musk and crew were off really focused in a hyper-focused kind of way on electric vehicles before the marketplace, even knew electric vehicles existed. And definitely before the marketplace was asking for electric vehicles. And that's Dwalla. Dwalla was looking at ACH, now what we call A to A, account to account payments, and saying, we, we think there's ways to innovate around, you know, what is really this, this legacy rail of ACH, 70 years old, but build around it in a way that's super innovative and that allows for a lot of customization and a lot of features that the Visa and MasterCard rails aren't able to, to, to provide. And so fortuitously, as, as our teams have been head down, really focused on innovating around ACH, now A to A has just you know, sprung on the scene as this like very real emerging threat to the networks, to the card networks, and, um, and, and we're just really enjoying what, you know, kind of those macro tailwinds of we, we facilitate these account to account payments in a really sophisticated, consumer friendly kind of way via our, our APIs. And, um, and we're just seeing so much innovation on that side. So super exciting. And, and Dwell is in a really great space to, to participate in all that change. Yeah, no, I think your your idea that it's kind of a prescient focus that you had certainly makes sense. How has the pandemic altered things for you? I mean, certainly consumer behavior is different. Have you seen any other aspects that have affected the work that you're doing? It has. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna share something the board probably wouldn't love me to share. I'll, I'm gonna talk about our payment volume as I, I think a way to 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 really illustrate what happened during the pandemic in payments and definitely in Dwalla. So I came on board as a new CEO, March, April of 2020, like worst time ever, right? The pandemic right, really, was yeah. just <laughs> kicking off. It was, it was a terrible calculated risk that ended up being the right one. But you know, when, when I came on, literally within a, within a week, our payment volume almost dropped in half overnight. And at the time, I think we were processing around 15 billion in payment volume and it dropped to six, 7 billion. 
So we, we were really nervous. What, what is the pandemic going to do to our clients? A lot of our you know, clients that, that integrate with Dwalla are more startup in nature. They're burning cash. They're trying to scale out the product. You know, they don't have you know, really heavy top line revenue. And so our clients were in a really precarious position. And so we buttoned down the hatches. We said, let's get through this COVID storm. And, and the, the funniest thing happened, you know, in Q3, Q4 of 2020, all of a sudden that payment volume came roaring back and then some, and it never stopped. So, you know, we went into 2020 at whatever, call it 15 billion in payment volume. We left 2020 at, uh, call it 20 billion. So we grew. And then in 2021, because of now the digitization of payments, made possible by the pandemic where all of the businesses and all of the consumers were looking for virtual payment options. Our payment volume then increased almost twofold again in 2021. And, wow. you know, now we're pacing to do an excess of, of 60 billion in 2022. So I, I'm not saying that pandemic was a good thing, but in, in our case, it was definitely a catalyst that I think really promoted a lot of growth and a lot of people to get unstuck to look at how ways A to A might might augment or supplement, you know, their their business. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a, a couple of those stories out there. This is one of the things that, you know, FinTech is in a unique position because certainly there were a lot of companies who, you know, in March and, you know, April, June of 2020, um, were looking at this and thinking, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, this the demand skyrocketed. And certainly right. you know, this is indicative of, uh, I think, a fintech ecosystem that had a lot of tools in place sort of waiting for people to catch up, waiting for demand mm. to catch up. And then you look at you know, people sort of being forced to move a lot of their pieces online um, and then deciding, hey, I actually really like this. It turns out this is actually really convenient. Um, I, I want to get into kind of the, the payment side a little bit more. I think obviously it's cool when you look at how quickly you can move money from point A to point B. But the really fascinating thing for me is there's this kind of knock-on effect that comes from that capability that sort of loosens up a lot of other types of financial technology services. Can you talk a little bit about what becomes possible when you're able to reduce those transaction times? Well, you, you nailed it, Greg. Yeah, we, I think we all call it the ripple effect. So one of, one of Dwala's core focus, areas of focus over the last 12 to 18 months has been a general umbrella term, but we call our faster payments initiative. So Visa MasterCard historically have kind of dominated, um, you know, the, the conversation on fast transfer times. You know, you authorize, you settle, and you deposit a transaction. And when they figured out how to do it next day, I mean, they were really proud of themselves. You know, you can batch or settle a credit card terminal. And in some cases, the merchant could have those funds the next business day. ACH always had this, this huge limitation of you had to wait two or three or four days to, to get that, that, that batched or that, that settled transaction. So with this faster payments initiatives and the ripple effect that, that we're seeing it kind of have throughout the, the industry, it's doing a couple of times. One, faster payments on for A to A has now completely leapfrogged the, the Visa MasterCard rails, especially with the, the release of RTP, real-time payments. We have clients that have integrated with our RTP product that is, is pushing and settling and depositing transactions in seconds, in literally two to three seconds. 
And they're doing it at pennies on the dollar when you compare it to the interchange costs on Visa and MasterCard. So it's amazing. And you think, well, what are those ripple effects that, that you called out? One is consumers. Consumers benefit by getting access to their funds quicker, especially in the gig economy. The other ripple effect we're seeing is, say, improved cash flow for businesses, things like payroll companies or financial marketplaces or insurance companies, the ability you know, to send out settlements. So it's impact on supply chain issues, you know, logistics, the consumer experience, end users getting access to their funds. To your really excellent point, it is, it is absolutely percolating to every place of the economy. And it's all facilitated by this idea of, of faster payments. Yeah, no, I think, and you highlighted a couple of them here, but I think this is one of those areas too, where there's going to be, this is a change that's really going to be felt by people on the ground, so to speak. You know, I think a lot of what we do in the fintech arena, sometimes, you know, the the effects are felt by banks, they're felt by other tech firms, but they don't necessarily trickle down to the everyday person. I think this is an area where we're going to see some changes that that make it to that kind of ground level. What would you say are sort of the, the biggest ones that, you know, everyday consumers can expect to see. And you kind of touched on these a little bit, but I'd just like to pull that out a little bit more. Yeah, I, I would double click on my comment around the gig economy. So, you know, everybody sees the stats. The gig economy is supposed to replace and supplant the W-2 or the employee model in the next seven to 10 years. So if you if you consider that the majority of U.S. workers will have one or several, um, you know, gig jobs or freelance roles that that that's that that that's really exciting to think how can someone who's out hustling and trying to make money they're doing 1099 work or they're doing DoorDash or they're right creating some freelance project on the side how can they get paid within seconds versus having to wait for days or weeks to settle an invoice with their customers so that's a very like direct concrete way that it facilitates people getting funds quicker. And the impact that has at a macro level to the economy is, is just tremendous. The other one that I mentioned is, you know, we have a lot of innovators that are building very cool products, um, whether it's a, it's a SaaS product or it's an app or it's some kind of platform that is looking to solve for something that will directly benefit consumers. That might be getting access to funds faster or to wages faster. It might be able to order products more quickly. It might be creating more seamless checkout experiences, you know, through uh, an e-commerce environment. So consumer experience, its ability to, you know, solve for supply chain issues, the ability for gig workers to get money. To your point and to the question, it, it, it's really just, it's percolating to every place of the economy. And I think we're just at the onset. I think we're just seeing how this will materialize in the years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. This is the start of something big. And when you look at the potential knock-on effect of what consumers can do when they have money earlier, it's huge. This is the difference between needing a payday yeah. loan or not, right? This is the right. difference between being able to pay all your bills on time and not. And so, you know, obviously from a, an, a consumer standpoint, the potential ripples are large. You, you touched on a really interesting piece there at the end though, which is you know, to looking at, at other innovators. I think this is one of those moments where we in the industry have a little bit of opportunity opportunity to create something that's a little different from how things have always gone. It seems to be there's more just open, uh, more, more options available. 
And, and I want to just ask you, know, what advice do you have for early stage companies that are breaking into fintech right now? And specifically, you know, what opportunities should they be aware of that are coming as a result of the work you're doing and these decreased uh, transaction times? That's a it's a great question. I you know again one thing we're really privileged at Twala to to have and to participate in is we get a front row seat to to working with and talking to these innovators that are looking to create products and create platforms and to solve for these like very real uh, pain points that exist out in the world that fintech is is able to solve for. And so as as we, albeit in a virtual environment, do these whiteboarding sessions. You know, with early stage companies, with with you know innovators that are looking to break into fintech, there's a couple of recurring themes or patterns we see, and it, advice you know that we're always giving these partners of ours. One is to be very narrowly focused on what problem you're trying to solve, because the the, the great thing about the, about fintech is it's got so much wide application that can solve for so many pain points in our lives that it's very easy to become distracted by what I call the money booth. You know, you step in the money booth and dollar bills are swirling all around you. You're just trying to grab as many as you can. And because of being distracted and not focused, you end up actually getting, you know, less of the dollars is the analogy. So one, be very focused, be very deliberate on solving a very specific pain point that only your FinTech solution can solve for. So hyper-focus is, is imperative. The other piece that you touched on that is, I think, just super smart, and it's very unique to fintech, is that there is such an open opportunity to collaborate with other fintechs, even those that may appear to be competitors, to the benefit of everybody. And so synergy being a very like cliche corporate buzzword, it's very much real in fintech. Dwala all the time is speaking to other fintechs, other payment companies in saying, what do you do? What do we do? And how can we work together in a one plus one equals three environment that we benefit from leveraging your technology and you benefit from leveraging our strengths? And the byproduct of that is a strategic partnership or relationship where we all will benefit in the long term. That's the other piece. If you're early stage, if you're looking to break into fintech, find complementary fintechs or other people out there that have technology that you can use to augment what you're building. It'll help you scale faster. It'll help you get to market quicker. And ultimately, it creates a, a, a greater and deeper value proposition for what you hope to offer your, your consumers or your clients at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's spot on. And this is a collaborative space. It's one of those things that I've always enjoyed about the financial technology arena myself. You get to see companies with cool ideas, finding each other, working together um, and creating things which are, are really new and exciting. So um, I think we do have time for just a really quick, uh, let's, let's zoom way out. What do you see coming over the next five to 10 years in fintech? You know, what are the big changes that are looming just past the horizon? I'm going to give you 60 seconds to do it. I know it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a great question. So I don't, I don't mean to kick the, the, the Visa MasterCard uh, hornet's nest because I've been on the card side of payments for 20 years, but at the risk of offending my friends on the card side uh, of payments, first is that you know, Visa and MasterCard and the card networks, they're, they're not going anywhere, but they will not have the monopoly on payments, both in a B2B, B2C, P2P, right? In, in all things, electronic transactions, three years from now that they have now. Things like A to A, um, I would say is an emerging payment technology 
that is going to be able to compete directly with, and in many cases, actually replace what previously the card networks were only able to, to do. The, the other one is, so we've got the advent of A to A. Visa and MasterCard are going to be a player, but I don't believe they're going to be uh, in a monopoly position as they are today. The other one, uh, I know everybody knows where I'm going, but crypto. So crypto as an alternative payment rail, you know, we're looking really hard at how can we take our upcoming 60 billion plus in payment volume and capitalize on some of the really unique technologies around blockchain and, and around what crypto can solve for. For example, there's a use case where we might be able to leverage blockchain technology uh, to facilitate FX transactions or to facilitate cross-border and international commerce. Previously, that would take a Dwalla 12 to 24 months to build the infrastructure to facilitate an FX transaction. We're now talking to crypto vendors who, again, in the spirit of cooperation, we can utilize their infrastructure to power FX or international transactions on our platform. So the next five, 10 years will be a much more shared space between all of these various payment rails, inc increased collaboration, and I'm biased, but I, I believe A to A is, is going to be ubiquitous. It's, it's going to be widespread, and you're going to see a lot of application to include eventually in a retail environment, which is kind of the holy grail that has been historically uh, dominated by just Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's amazing to see the the potential here. And I think you're you're right to highlight that there, there are going to be some significant changes. And I think, again, we talked about some of the ripple effects from that, but um, this core idea of how we move money is changing. It's getting better. There's a lot that comes with that. And I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you so much. Again, we've been talking with Brady Harris, CEO of Dwala, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Great being with you and the listeners. That's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. This episode was produced by our US-based production team, including producer Elizabeth Severins, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media. Or leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast. And in return, that helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.